Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you pray with me one more time? God, we just give you our attention this morning. Wherever we may be coming in with this morning, whether it's just literally the craziest morning and I barely got out the door. Whatever it may be, God, we just leave it outside. We give you our attention. We give you our devotion. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes. Come Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you today. Amen. Well, it was, a, it was a normal morning a few months ago. I heard the familiar yell from down the hall from Adeline, simply this, Dad! <laughs> I hear it on the baby monitor. It's fantastic. It's around 5 or 5.30. I get her set up. I get her Cheerios. Get her set up, as I said. Let the dogs out, all four or five of them. Feed them breakfast. That's a party. And then I finally sit down and I have my coffee. And I open up, or I turn my phone on, and I open up Facebook, as many of us do, and we see what we missed while we were sleeping. <laughs> so weird, but we do it. And I start scrolling. I come across articles, and I come across movie news and celebrities. I come across German Shepherd puppies that are available, and I resist temptation. <laughs> Sports articles, right? The newest trades or whatever coffee pictures, everything and nothing all at the same time. Reading this, reading that, get more coffee, get Adeline more Cheerios. Next thing I know, though, Jessie is, is beside me. Jessie's my wife with our youngest, Olive. And uh, I'm really surprised because I'm like, honestly, you're up really early, sweetheart. You know, normally you don't get up until like closer to 7, 7.30. It's weird that you're, you're up right now. And then I look at my phone. And it's around 7 or 7.30. <laughs> I had been sitting there on my phone, sipping coffee for over two hours. Just scrolling. No matter where we seem to turn, no matter where we go, no matter what store we're in, what website we're on, what channel or streaming site we seem to be tuning into, something is always trying to capture our attention. We are constantly captured by content of some kind. And it absolutely sucks us in, doesn't it? Everything from articles and gossips all the way down to Pinterest DIY art projects. Netflix, YouTube, Crave, Amazon Prime, Prime Video, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, CNN, Fox News. No in particular order. As soon as we wake up and grab our coffee, there is already a war raging, and this war is for our attention. There's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I don't know if any of you have seen it. If you want your world blown up, go watch it later. 
But there's a former engineer who has worked for Facebook and Google, and he says this, we are the product. Our attention is the product being sold to the advertisers. We are the product. I wonder why that is. If that's true, I'm not saying it is. Maybe it is. I'm not an expert. But let's just, let's just go with that for a second. If what he says is true, what's so important about our attention? What's so important about our attention? I think it's because what we give our attention to begins to shape actually what rules our attention. Right? What we give our attention to begins to form what we do, who we are, what we spend our money on, what we give our time to, what we talk about. For example, don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about? Most likely a pink elephant. Or you're really hungry and you're like, John, shut up, keep going. <laughs> what we give our attention to or what we surrender our attention to begins to shape what rules our attention, good or bad. And my fear is there is far more that we are captured by that leads to not good, far more than that leads to actually what is good. And we may not even be aware of it. Paul is writing the, this letter that we just read, or a piece of it, to the, to the followers of Jesus in the city of Rome. Different scholars have different opinions as to how the good news of Jesus actually came to the city of Rome. But what we do know for a fact is that the good news of Jesus begins to take root in this city. Most scholars believe that the letter was written around 57-58 CE. Around this time, most scholars believe that the city of Rome alone, not just the entire Roman Empire, but the city of Rome, had over one million inhabitants. One million citizens just in the city of Rome alone. No city would even come close to this size until the Industrial Revolution. In the first century, this was a giant city. This was a huge city. It was a cultured city with many different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds. That meant there was a lot going on. There was a lot of temples. There was a lot of gods. You could entertain yourself any way you wanted to. Everything and everywhere you turned was waiting to capture your attention. The Roman government, idol worship, sexual desires of any kind was ready to basically suck you in at a moment's notice. The followers of Jesus in Rome were immersed in an entire worldview and ideology that would easily begin to shape their minds, their habits, their lifestyles, everything. And in the middle of all of this, Paul is writing a letter to the followers of Jesus. Right in the middle. He's kind of addressing two questions. And the first question is this, how do you live as a follower of Jesus in a place with so much distraction? How do you follow Jesus in a place where everything is fighting for your attention? Ready to shape you and mold you into a whole new pattern of life. Paul is addressing all of this in these first two verses. It's a weighty book. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Verse 1 starts with this word, therefore. Now, this is important. It may just seem like a word, but it's, it's very important. Therefore means there's something said prior to all of this that we need to pay attention to in order to truly gain the weight of what's going to happen next. 
therefore says, okay, cool, if you're here, go back, make sure you read, because we're about to get heavy. So let's go back to uh, chapter 11 just for a moment and look at a couple verses, because this is going to really set the stage for what we just read moments ago. So this is Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul says things like, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. For him and through him and for him are all things. What's Paul saying here? Why is this so important? Paul's reminding the church in Rome how great and good and holy and set apart and wise God is. Why is that so important? Well, Paul is about to disrupt a massive worldview that is very much alive in the city they are in. But before he does that, he needs to establish the goodness and the wisdom of God first. Paul is establishing a baseline. Paul is establishing a foundation, and the foundation is this. God is the one who is good. God is the one who is wise. Because of the goodness, wisdom, love, holiness, and grace of God, he says this in 12 verse 1. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the midst of an environment warring for their attention, their desires, their habits, Paul is inviting the Church of Rome to see a new way to live. A whole new way to live. But in order to experience this new way of living, it's going to require a transformation. It's going to require a transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul says. Here's a question. Why the mind? Why not be transformed by the renewing of your heart? Or, I don't know, the renewing of your hands. But why, right? Like, why the mind? What's Paul getting at? Well, I'm going to put a word up on the screen here, and this is the Greek word for, for mind that Paul uses here in the text. Now, it does translate as mind, but it's far deeper than just like a part of your biology. It's not just talking about your brain. Paul is talking about understanding. Paul is talking about attitude. Paul is talking about the way a person thinks and approaches everything. Paul isn't talking simply about a brain. Paul is talking about someone's entire approach to life. How do you follow Jesus in a place that is warring for your attention? How do you follow Jesus in a place with so much distraction? Paul's answer is to allow the presence of God to transform their entire approach to life. But that seems like a really strong response from Paul, doesn't it? Can't the followers of Jesus just kind of ignore what's around them? Can't they just pretend it's not there? Ignorance is bliss, right? Ignorance is bliss. 
Maybe what we give our attention to is far more important than we realize. It doesn't take long for something to rule over my attention, I'll tell you that. I'm driving through St. John and I hit a Wendy's billboard and within five minutes I've got a number two double burger in one hand and I got fries in the other and I'm seeing which one I can fit in first. <laughs> or an ad pops up while you're scrolling through Facebook and before you know it you're filling your shopping cart up and you're punching in your credit card number. Right? Or, that's right. Or you go to the bakery in North Head before you've even had breakfast. Big mistake. And you're driving home and your backseat is full of country sourdough bread, St. John bread, and cardamom buns. Come on, someone. <laughs> Our attention is captured so easily by what we want. Right? By what we desire. It doesn't take long before what we are captured by becomes what what we actually obsess over. Have you noticed that? So much so that it can begin to shape not just what we think about, but actually how we approach what we would call life. How we spend our money. What we watch on TV. Where we go on vacation. How we rest. Before we know it, whatever has captured our attention begins to shape how we live. I eat Wendy's and then I go back and then I go back, and then I go back, and then I go back. And soon enough, Jesse and I are buying 38 waist jeans. Right? Or you fill your shopping cart again and again and again until you reach the point where if you're having a bad day, the only way that you start to have a better day is if you buy something else. Right? The latest gossip or the news becomes all you think about, and it captures your attention to the point where then people stop trusting you. Or that website that you keep going to on your phone or your computer keeps capturing your attention so much that it ends up destroying your marriage. Before we know it, what has captured our attention begins to shape how we live. And we find ourselves in this vicious cycle, don't we? Ruled by our desires, ruled by what captures our attention in a moment, and we don't know how to get out of it. Because as soon as we wake up, it's there. So the question is, why are we so captured? Why are we so captured? Why is our attention so easily drawn to things that we desire? Well, you and I were created to be captured. You and I were created to desire. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that that part is wrong. We just oftentimes choose to be captured by the wrong things. As soon as God created human beings, they were captured by him. His presence. We read this last week in Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord, Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then man became a living being. It's God's breath. Or in the Hebrew, it even better translates as a spirit. It's not just, it's not just God's breath. It's God's essence. It is, it is his deep breath into you and I that actually creates life. Without God's presence, there is no life. Everything they needed was found in him. Love, joy, peace, belonging, family, life itself. Absolutely everything they could ever desire or long for would always be found in God. 
They were literally in lack of nothing. Their attention, their devotion was purely on God. And then God says in Genesis 1.31, he says that it is all very good. This is God's way of saying this right here is exactly as it should be. But if we continue reading, we find out that they believed the lie that they were missing out on something. This isn't the full picture. They believed the lie that they could know good from evil on their own without God. So the lie was, was, was entering the story, and from that point on, our desire, our attention, our devotion is always on search to be captured by something. You see it right in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw, notice the words that are used here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and, she, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Pleasing to the eye. Good for food. Desirable. All of a sudden, their attention moved from God, who had everything they needed, to something far less than God. For Eve to even be aware of the fruit and that it was good for food meant she was going to have to take her eyes off of God and notice something new. She was distracted. She was captured. Their attention was captured by God, by what God had created and not God himself. I'll say that again. They were captured by something that God had created but not God himself. Maybe what we give our attention to is far more important than we think. Human beings, you and I, were made to be captured by God. To have our attention and devotion captured by him. But we live in a world full of distractions, don't we? Our own desire for other things, that desire gets in the way. We find ourselves captured by everything but God himself. I don't even think we know what boredom is anymore. Remember that? <laughs> Notice the next time you're waiting for something in the lineup because it's taken forever. What do you do? You take out your phone. We are so used to being captured by something, we often don't know how to just simply be. When Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he is talking about God or allowing God to actually recapture us again. Transformation here in the Greek, I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is a Greek word here that Paul is using for transformation, and it, it, is, it literally means to transform the essential nature of something. This isn't just a makeover. This isn't just a couple of like life hacks or whatever. This is an entire renovation from the absolute foundations. This is going to the very root. This is deep and complete transformation. Why such a heavy and complete change? Well, when we decided we could find good on our own apart from God, our attention and devotion was bent to go in a completely different direction. Ourselves. Ourselves. Why is Paul not, is, why is Paul not is talking about not conforming to the pattern of this world? Because whether we like it or not, we are conformed by the pattern of this world. Right? Our desires, our wants, 
But like I said last week, my version of good, it is not trustworthy. As much as I want it to be, it doesn't lead me to good places. Ultimately, my own version of good, apart from God, it's rooted in selfishness. That's not fun to talk about. Right? It's what I want. So get out of my way. I can find what I want all on my own, and I don't need anyone to show me how to get it. But the reality is, it often leads to disappointment, doesn't it? It leads to pain, hurt, oftentimes betrayal, heartache. But the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to stay there. We all have experienced that to some degree, but the good news of Jesus is that doesn't have to be where your story stays. Too many of us stay in a vicious cycle when God is inviting us into what life really is, transformed by his presence, transforming, as Paul said, the essential nature of something. This is the good news that God actually desires to do in us. We don't have to convince him of it. He wants to. In John 10.10, 10, we, we quote this a lot as Lighthouse Church. You could probably quote it yourself. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This isn't just a poetic statement from Jesus. This right here is truly what he wants to do in us. But it's not self-improvement. Right? It's not self-improvement. It's not minimalism. Those are all great. Self-improvement is great. Life hacks are great. Some of them are dumb. <laughs> you just made more work for yourself and you called it a life hack. That's <laughs> not going to cut it though, friends. This is transformation. James K.A. Smith, he's a theologian and a writer, he wrote this, being a disciple of Jesus is not primary, primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. Rather, it's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly. I'll say that part again. It's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly, who loves God and neighbor and is oriented to the world by the primacy of that love. God doesn't simply want to give us better habits. God wants to transform the essence of who we are at the very root into people of his love. Our beginning point, our foundation. But this has to but for this to take place in us, we have to go back to the first statement that Paul started chapter 12 with. Verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're looking at a lot of Greek this morning, but here's the Greek word here for offer. And it literally means to hand over. Or a really strange way actually to define it is deliver a prisoner. I read that this week and I was like, what? That's weird. But it's a complete surrender. Go with me in this picture. It's a complete surrender. It's, it's like when a prisoner is surrendering him or herself to their captor. Right? I surrender. I'm done running. You have been chasing me. I cease. It's like a prisoner saying, you have captured me. 
But instead of some violent and evil captor, God is a gracious and loving father who wants to transform you and I into sons and daughters. What did we read earlier today? Psalm 139. You formed me in my inmost being. Only a God who knows and loves you would, say, would, would do something like that. You have captured me. It's like when Adeline and Olive are fighting me with, about something. Happens every five minutes. <laughs> they are full of fire. I love it and it is terrifying all at the same time. But there comes a moment oftentimes because it's usually about something they want to do that I know for their good, it's probably not good if they do it. Like ice cream at 5 a.m. in the mornings. That was a request for breakfast today. It's like, heck no. Uh, <laughs> but there comes a moment when they, when they stop fighting, right? They, there comes a moment when they stop. There comes a moment when they fall apart, especially, especially Adeline. She'll eventually just kind of become this... this, this this pool of emotion on the floor. Now, I'd be a pretty bad dad if I was like, yeah, I know, see, I was right. <laughs> right? You guys would be like, John, what is wrong with you? <laughs> no, what do I do? I scoop her up, right? I scoop her up. I sit on the couch, put her on my lap, and I just say, we're okay. I love you. You're okay. We're okay. We are invited to stop running. We are invited to stop fighting. Stop trying to solve a problem we were never meant to solve. Stop trying to figure out something you do not have the answer to. Stop trying to find something that God is actually trying to freely give you. When we stop and surrender and oftentimes fall to pieces... God scoops us up as sons and daughters and he begins to transform us. But he's not going to force it on us. A lot of us want that. I want that sometimes. Oh, God, can't you just make this easier? But you can't force love, right? Love always has a choice. As much as we don't like it, love always has the opportunity of not love. If it's forced, it's not love. You and I can fight to our dying day if we choose to. No one's going to stop you. You could fight till your very last breath, but from the way Jesus talks about it, we're going to miss out on what is truly life. Life following Jesus. Life that can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Surrender is an act of the will. Surrender is always a choice. It's, it's handing over. And what we find when we do this is something we could never find on our own. It's peace. Right? It's real peace. Jesus says this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. When I base my joy and peace simply on listening to my own desires and what captures my attention, I... I live in the opposite of peace. My mind's going from here to there. I'm doubting myself. I'm second-guessing myself. And then I'm overcompensating by trying to justify myself. I always have to keep looking. One drink isn't simply enough to feel satisfied. One purchase is simply not enough to feel satisfied. 
one look at my phone or computer on that website is simply not enough to feel satisfied. When I base my peace and joy simply on listening to my own desires and what captures my attention, I live into the opposite of peace because I'm never satisfied. One is never enough. I become a slave to my own desires. Right? If I am ruled by what I want, that's all I can listen to. But when I offer my body as a living sacrifice, when I surrender and stop running and stop fighting, I find myself wrapped in the arms of peace. Wrapped in the love of a good father, I find myself in the place I was made for. Captured and loved by the presence of God as a son. I don't need one more drink because I found what I was searching for. I don't need to purchase something because I found what I was searching for. I don't need to look at that website. I don't need to hustle and make another 100K. I don't need another car. I don't need the promotion. I don't need because I found what I need. I don't need ever because I found the presence of God. Or better said, the presence of God found me. And then he invites me into being a son. Or he invites you into being a daughter. As we've been talking about this entire series, abiding in the presence of God, rooted in the presence of God. I'm going to invite Michelle to come up. The question this morning is this, what has captured your attention? What has captured your attention? What's the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning? What do you dwell on as you go through the day? An empty bank account? A broken family? A broken mortgage? A broken marriage? Seeking attention by how you look? The next exciting experience? One question we asked last week that I just can't get away from is do you feel whole? Do you feel peace? Or are we anxious? Are we afraid? Are we angry? Maybe God is trying to capture your attention. It may seem really innocent scrolling through Facebook first thing in the morning. But when my day begins with Facebook and articles and everything I come across, it begins to form how the rest of my day goes. Right? It begins to form how I live that day. Instead of starting my morning in prayer, talking with God, listening to what He wants to say to me. We did, this, that, we did that this morning in pre-gathering prayer. We just made space for God to speak, and He spoke, my goodness. Listening to what God has to say, giving Him my day, offering Him who I am, and not doing a single thing except starting with that. When I don't do those things, I'm offering my body to something else. And then the cycle continues, right? Everything I saw that morning comes back to me throughout the day. I can't get it out of my head. It's what I obsess over. It's what I'm afraid of. It's what I'm anxious about. Until I get to the point, and this happens almost several times a day, to be completely honest, because this is what God is doing in me right now. And I come to that breaking moment. It's like, God, I have not been giving you my attention. God, you are not... You are not what has captured me. So take over my attention. Right? Here I am. It's not a big, dramatic experience. It's just, whoa. 
okay, God, my mind's on a bunch of other things other than you. So you know what? Before anything else happens, here I am. Here's my body. Here's my attention. You are where I find peace. You are where I find joy. You are where I find love. Not from Facebook. Not from my money. Not from my job. Not from my house. Not from my car. Not from my success. Not from my failures. Peace, joy, and love only come from you, God. So here I am. So here I am. In the moments where we know God does not have our attention, where He does not have our devotion, we stop. And we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because this is how, I'm almost done, this is how Paul ends. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we give God our full attention and our devotion, He shows us what's truly good. A life of resilience is lived, captured by the love of God. A life of resilience is rooted and devoted to the presence of God. This series has been about getting into the roots. It wasn't even what we intended to. It's not even how it started. I thought, hey, let's just do a really nice, you know, just like chill series this summer. God's like, nope. Grab your shovels, kids. Because resilience comes from the very root of who we are or not. Resilience is about, so we've been talking about this whole series. Resilience is not like a muscle we work. Resilience is something, true resilience is something we receive when we let ourselves abide and be rooted in the presence of God. That is deep work. And I am learning that because God's like, hey, John, we got some work to do, friend. And the best thing I can say in those moments is yes. But not just say yes by myself, say yes in community. That's why Foundations has been so fruitful. Every single Sunday night, people are coming. And guys, I'll tell you right now, the presence of God is illuminating hearts and minds in this room and out there. Why? Because people are starting to look at the roots. People are going into the foundation saying, wait, I haven't been living like that. Do you, do you mean I can do that? Yep. All right, well, how do I start? Well, you know what? We do this thing, Fasting Mondays or Monday Fasts. And we just fast a meal. And we say, God, show me more of who you are today. And then we do this thing on Wednesdays called Prayer Room where we come and we just pray. Sure, I'll come try that. Wait, that was prayer? Yes. I didn't even have to perform. I didn't even feel like an idiot when I was doing it. Yes. Welcome to real relationship with God. And then we do this thing where we meet before Sunday mornings and we do pre-gathering prayer. Why? Because some Sunday mornings, I'll tell you, sometimes on Sunday mornings, my attention is not rooted in the presence of God. I'm tired. I got up at four this morning. It was not awesome. I've had way too much coffee. Right? But I had to make a conscious decision. When I came in the room today, God, I'm exhausted, but here is my attention. Here I am. What did my mood want to do? Go back to bed. What did my desire do? Like, let's just, just get through the morning. No. And you know what happened? God showed up during pre-gathering prayer, and he gave words to people. And I was blessed. Why? 
because I allowed myself to be captured by his presence and not how I felt. And that's hard for me because I'm a lead with my heart kind of guy. If it goes against my feelings, I'm like, eh, are you sure? He's like, oh yeah, I'm super sure, John. <laughs> what has captured your attention? What has captured your attention? Do you feel peace? Do you feel rest? 